Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. If we really get off into the the weeds or start talking trash, I'll cut that part out. That's good. I, so it's, still, it's still I'm off the it's still off the record. The, the first issues that hit the commission, at least with the Udemed side of it, was when the new commission came in. Because when the new commission came in, they transferred everything across the road from one directorate to another. And no. when they did that, also for certain- my ignorance of European stuff. Go on. It is is transferring the commission kind of like either getting a new president or getting a new Congress for us? Whoa. Um, and changing power, kind of? It wouldn't be as big as getting a new president because within Europe, there's three arms. You've got the commission, the parliament, and the council. And all three basically have to say yes. But when the new commission comes into play, they get a new president, but then to show that the, the, the civil servants like to show that they're really in charge. So they move some of the chess pieces around. And one of the chess pieces they keep moving is medical devices. And they move it from one directorate to another. The directorates are like ministries. And the two places are literally across the road from each other. Normally, it doesn't make a big deal because there's a small medical device um, business team. But for Udemed, it was huge because you had all the developers. And some of the key developers said they weren't moving. And that put a massive, oh, oh yeah. And they didn't even have to move seats. They said, oh, we're done. We're out. Because the other thing is the commission has hired consultants to do Udemed. Not a consulting company, individual programmers. Oh gosh. <clears throat> now, when I was there, when I left, we had a team of 23. The team is now over 50. And they're still behind. And 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 they're disparate. Like everybody's kind of doing their own thing because they're not. Nobody's nobody's in an office together anymore. They've kind of shut that bit down. Everybody's remote working, which in fairness is working quite well with the team. But they keep changing things. And they did when I was there as well. This week we would be told, right, A equals A. Next week, A equals Z. The week after, A equals B. And then in the fourth week, it will go back to A equals A. So if you waited long enough, it went full circle back to where you'd started in the first place. So why would you even try to move from A to B, B to C, if you're going to just get back to A. It's it's down to people, I think, being afraid to make a final decision and then second-guessing themselves again and again and again. And the whole time, the programmers make the changes each time. So you've got the same bloody thing going back and forth. And it, it, it's... I don't know, is it a case study for how not to run a project? Um, maybe they would be better off completely outsourcing and giving it to one of the big consultancies and going, right, here's 20 million, make this happen. We don't care if we make changes. There's nothing else being paid. And then the other guys gamble, and that's correct. 
But whereas now, Jesus, I'd hate to see how much money they've spent. Because the initial budget was about $8 million, and that was to run until um, March 2020. And that $8 million, if memory serves, was pretty well done by the time I left in April 2019. So we would say Christmas 2020 or Christmas 2019, that would have been pretty much done. <clears throat> so I dread to think of the good value that the taxpayer is getting on this. Well, I think I, I wonder how much the taxpayers are yet really aware of not. the significance of what's happening. They're not. Nobody. I mean, when I left, when I left, we were told or we were led to believe that you and everybody else in the industry understood everything about this. You knew all about Udamed. You knew all about MDR, IVDR, and you were all up to speed. So when I when I came out in when I came out in April 2019, it uh, I was shocked when I started talking to people and they'd go, "Oh yeah, Udamed," and they'd smile. Then I'd start explaining some stuff and they would glaze over. Now I didn't think I was that boring a speaker to have them glaze over so quickly, but they hadn't a clue. They didn't understand any of it. But the commission believed that once they publish that on the website, everybody's ready. Oof, huh? Yeah. Oof, yeah I mean, just for like me, that. it's fantastic. Because we've, we've got the training, we've got the software, all the rest. So for me, it's brilliant. Because we're filling, we're filling in the gap that they, they, they left. But I think it's a, an awful way to, uh, to treat... People, they're not treating them like clients. They're treating them with, with contempt in a lot of cases, I think. Yeah. Not very fair. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think of these latest uh, proposals that they're coming out with for the extension? <clears throat> yeah. I've been reading a lot of the blogs on this, a lot of different people's opinions. And the idea is brilliant. Right? But there's so many companies that are still going to work to the deadline. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I've, which was quite a surprise to me, as soon as, soon as they announced the proposals, I was watching it on the, the little whatever screen they published it on. And when I finished laughing at the Ukrainian effect on the medical device supply chain, which was <laughs> very amusing. But I contacted them straight away to see what effect any of this was going to have on Udemed because Udemed affects me more than most. And they said, absolutely none. So there's no impact on Udemed at all, which is fantastic. But what surprised me was within a week, I was getting a lot of companies who initially had said they were not going to upload their legacy devices, the MDDs, the IVDDs. They said they were not going to upload them. But now, because of the proposed transitions, they want to upload them as soon as possible. Because they want to try to get them in? They want to get at least the legacy device stuff in, because at this end, there's already importers going, well, we're not going to import your goods if uh, we don't see them in Udemy. And I can understand why the importers are doing it, because in theory, they have a lot of legal obligations. Mm -hmm. But in reality those obligations don't matter until Udemed is fully functional and fully operational. But some of these guys are just not taking any chances. If we're putting our name on that piece of paper, we want your stuff in there. 
So it's almost market driven now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with one poor company from the US, 1,000 IVDRs, they came to me in a panic at like 5.30 my time. And they said, look, our importer said they're not going to bring our goods into the, the, the EU. We're IVDR, we're all certified. What can we do? I said, well, if you get, if you get us the data, we can, we can get it in for you. So between the two of us, we spent the next five hours getting their data in at 11.30 at night. We got 200 of the 1,000 in. The balance was blocked because of a bug in Udemed. The balance was blocked for six months, Michelle. Oh. Months. I, had cont- I contacted the commission straight away and I said, right, this is what's wrong. This is why it's wrong. This is what you need to do. And Did the importer stand their ground for six months? Um, once we got the emails back from the commission saying that, yes, it's a bug. Yes, we're working on it. Once we put together a little dossier and went, here, look, we have tried. This is the way it is. They did kind of calm a bit. But as soon as this bug was fixed at the beginning of December, we got their data in straight away and there were some very comfortable people. Okay. But like you said, it's, it looks like the market is going to push this faster than the commission is. Mm-hmm. So the commission, when you told them there was a bug, they were just like, yeah, we know we're working on it. Thanks. Um, no, no, no. Initially, they said, yeah, we'll get back to you. And we all waited for a couple of weeks. And eventually, they, <coughs> sorry, eventually they said, yes, there is a bug. We're now giving it to the developers. In September, they said they'd fix it. Now, this is, don't forget, this is six months, December back to June. So in September, they said, okay, it's been fixed. So we tried again and it failed again. And, <coughs> excuse me. And I got back to them. I said, you said this is fixed. You know, I'm, I'm looking kind of stupid here with my clients at the moment. They said, oh, it's fixed on the playground. You have to wait. <laughs> you have to wait until the next deployment before we fix it fully. That was September. The next deployment was December. It was supposed to have been the beginning of October, but they forgot to tell everybody they pushed it back. And I think just like first or second week of December, they actually did it. Oh, frustrating. What a mess. But here's a bigger bigger one for you. On December 13th, the data exchange, the uploads of the XML files was stopped on the 13th, I think it was the 13th. And they said, oh, it's shut down for maintenance. And it was just like all of a sudden. And they said it'll be back in three days. Three days is a long time for maintenance. I mean, I'm 28 years in IT. Three days is for a massive system rollout. And even then that would include all sorts of testing and everything. But they said, for maintenance. So I thought, okay, a bit strange, even for these guys, it's a bit strange. Third week in December, we tried it again with a UK client and their upload stayed in pending. Never went beyond. And normally within 10, 15 minutes, it goes from pending to progressing to either success or failure. So it stayed in pending. So we left it for a day, stayed in pending. So I contacted the commission again. And this person also contacted the commission, two different emails. And I was told, yeah, it's still down for maintenance. We'll contact you. And she was told, 
it's down for maintenance. The file that you've uploaded is going to be deleted and you're going to have to re-upload it again. Oh. I thought it was a bit strange. Okay. But no, this is like the 21st of December, give or take a day or two. And still down. So that's the 13th. That's two weeks nearly. Into January. We tried again on January 3rd with a different client. Same thing. Stays sitting and pending. I contacted them again. They said, sorry, it's still in maintenance mode. It's nearly four weeks. Yesterday, the one we uploaded on the third, I received an email saying it's been processed. So that means something was switched back on again. So went back in. We managed to upload <clears throat> some data. But that's it down for almost four weeks for maintenance. And then on their website, they published that there was a small, um, a small bug affecting third parties uploading via machine to machine. And that's been fixed now. <laughs> Four weeks for a small bug. That has, I know, I'm, I'm Is that because finished. everybody took the European holidays over Christmas and New Year's and was gone for more than half of that? But even, even allowing for that, that's... Um, I think there's been something very large going on. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a good conspiracy theory anyway. So when I first asked this question, you had said that you felt like the it seems like a good idea, but that it didn't really help Udemed. But what, what was the part that seems like it's going to be a good idea or helpful? Um, I mean, from the company's perspective, the sell-off period, Brilliant. They get a bit more time to sell stuff off. But some of the stuff that I, and again, I'm no, I'm no regulator, but the piece about the device must, um, must not present an unacceptable risk. Who decides? Mm -hmm. Is that the competent authority? Is that the notified body? What if you don't have a notified body? What if you can't get a notified body? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the whole um, undergone significant, significant changes. Again, I, I, again they're, in theory, they're small things. But who is going to police it? Who's going to tell you that your company or your client's device, that one is perfect. There's no risk with that one. Off you go. Now you can sell it under the old certificates or whatever. That's a big administrative thing. So I think, and again, some of the, the, the blogs that I read on this as well were alluding to the same thing. There's going to have to be a whole load of guidance coming out very, very quickly on this. Mm -hmm. And we're not actually going to see any guidance until the parliament votes, until the, the council of ministers sits down and goes, okay, you're all good. And, and when is that? Um, Eric Valdebrecht reckoned if, everything goes at superhuman speed, we might see something around the end of March. Mm -hmm. But how yeah. many times have you seen these people move at speed? Yeah. <laughs> they are and everybody's going to want their fingers in this. And they don't want to revisit it. And one guy saying 2027. What's the next guy that comes along might go, well, we don't want to revisit, so let's make it 2028. So we don't actually know what is going to be the final dates. Maybe they'll stay exactly the same and maybe the, the council and the parliament will be happy that the commission have blamed everybody under the sun for what's gone wrong. 
accept themselves. We are honestly, it's, it's, it's one of those things, and a lot of people are talking on it. This is one we have to wait and see. Because this is a this is a proposal. It's it's not that there's ambiguity in there. There's detail missing, lots of detail. And while the commission have said there's going to be no effect on Udemed, that the, the dates are completely fixed in Udemed now, they could end up changing some business rules because of this. Maybe they say this risk has to be flagged under another field. And if it's an acceptable risk, then do you need a letter from somebody or it could go on and on I and on. I see and on. with every derogation or Article 97 allowance, you're going to have to have some way to identify that. Yeah. You med. I, it, it's very possible. No, maybe it won't. Maybe they'll just accept you at your word. I think it would be a bit strange if they did because they do like to keep full transparency. But... It's, it's possible it could have a long-term effect. So let's talk about this timing again. So nothing's going to be official until the council meets yeah. and then publishes their final decision. Yeah, we have with the parliament first, then mm -hmm. it goes back to the council. And the council is the council of ministers. The council of ministers are from each country. Like all those, all those guys you saw speaking at the that commission meeting, they were all ministers from their their home countries. Um, some of them spoke with authority; others spoke with the notes that they were given on the way into the meeting. <laughs> but either way, it's going to affect patients. It did the Udemed delays are affecting patients because they can't see what they're. What they're getting. The whole idea of Udemed was the, the whole transparency thing. Um, or that was one of the main reasons they used to push it forward. But as it stands, is there 30,000 devices in there? Oh, here's another one for you. <clears throat> one that we didn't expect. Um, distributors and importers. They're beginning to start looking at it. And we anecdotal evidence from, from a few of them that we know. They've started looking at Udemed as a product catalogue. So they can search for certain devices and go, oh, this company does it, this company does it, this company does it. There's a twist for you. That now, that's, what we, that's something I didn't expect. Um, and this, this is also then goes back to something that I said a couple of years ago. As a good reason to get all your legacy devices in there, it was to show history. Mm -hmm. So rather than your device just being brand new after May 2020, I don't know which, which 20 it is now, 2023, 2024, when you get your new certificate, that's the date you're supposed to put in as your start date. But if you've got your legacy device in, your start date is an awful lot sooner. So you can show that your device has been on the market for 10 years, as opposed to only being on the market from when you get your, um, your MDR or IBDR certificate. And if people are using this as a catalogue, Jesus, I'd, I'd like to show them that my device was on the market an awful lot longer than just a few weeks when they started looking. Wow, there's going to be so many market drivers here that yeah, huge. companies be beyond regulatory considerations. Yeah. But, but you know, 
consistently from executive management that's not regulatory. I see that, that it's the market or the customer that drives the compliance with the regulatory stuff. Like, I remember in 2010, I believe it was, was um, when when all the whole phthalate thing went down with um, reach. Mm -hmm. And and I had been telling my CEO for over a year that, okay, this is the date. And we have 2,800 products that have these chemicals in them. And we need, because it is flexible PVC. That used to number one phthalate container. Um, so I'm like, we need we need a plan. We need to either comply on our labeling, or we need to transition chemicals. And if we transition chemicals, we have to revalidate every machine because it's going to process it differently. We have to do biocompatibility. Blah blah blah. Oh wow! He said, Michelle. Bring me the reg. This is th- three months before it's supposed to be implemented. He said, "Bring me the regulation so I could read it for myself." So I brought it to him, and he read every other word until it said what he wanted it to say. And then he told me that he couldn't even trust me to read that I can't read, and that he was going to have to have a lawyer read it to him. So that he knew what he really had to do or not do. <laughs> and then one month before we were supposed to comply, our one of our biggest companies, co- customers, and that is a huge market player, one of the yeah. largest um, companies in medical devices, came to us and said, um, so where's our compliance plan for reach? And then he's like, Michelle, why didn't you tell me? So in one month, I had to like <laughs> revalidate, you know, twenty eight hundred products with new. Sounds companies. like a good CEO. Yeah, and I, I left shortly after. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why. I can see why. So I can totally, again. but I can totally see this happening for yeah. NPR because executive management. I mean, only eight thousand people have even applied for MDR. I realize that there is a notified body capacity issue, but out of 20,000 certificates, it's, it's an astonishingly low number of companies that are actively pursuing this. It's, um, it's, it never fails to surprise me when I'm talking to companies. <clears throat> We've got new clients who are definitely going to go with us but they've pushed back. We'll start June next year. We'll start January 2024. And you're like, oh, there's so much that can go wrong in the interim. But I guarantee you, if one of the distributors comes and says, I looked in Udemed and I found this or I didn't find this or it looks like this is a brand new product and we don't want to, we don't know the history or the safety that they're going to get in line real quick. Yeah, I mean, they are literally gambling with their EU marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I would hate to be the one to explain to the CEO or the shareholders that, you know, 
funny story, we can't deal in Europe for the next six months because we messed this up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of money on the line. I know this is an expense for everybody and the, the industry or the, the manufacturers will never make money based on this particular thing, but they lose a lot of money if they get it wrong. Right. Yeah. And that, I think, is terrifying because you are talking ridiculous amounts of money here. Um, we've, had, we've had some bizarre situations where companies that are ridiculously profitable with a small amount of UDIs, and they've gone, oh, no, we, we, we find this very expensive. We're going to type them in ourselves. We're not going to uh, pay somebody to do it. And one guy with 48,000 UDIs. And the poor lady who brought me in for the... To, to introduce our systems he asked her he says how long did it take you to type some in and she goes well the first one about 40 minutes and then maybe 10 minutes per UDI afterwards and actually it was 43,000 they had and he said okay then Richard we don't need you she can just type them in and the poor woman oh my god look for a new job straight away I mean my, my father used to say penny wise and pound foolish yep and that's exactly what it is. I mean, we charge for our services. We don't rip people off, by not by a long way. I've heard prices that some others charge, and God almighty, I'd, I'd be embarrassed. But mm. what a terrible way to treat staff as well, though. Right. What type of terrible. products are you seeing actually in compliance or or clear that they're going to make the effort between MDD and MDR um, in terms of the types of technology, because I, I'm asking because I have several customers that have commodity products, if you will, you know, maybe drainage catheters or mm -hmm. some type of IV product um, where there's, you know, basically no clinical literature. Yeah. They happened to be in mostly 2A. One had the misfortune of uh, on the borderline of getting up classified to a class three. You know, the risk profile didn't change for these, for this silicone tube with holes in it that's all of a sudden needs a class three dossier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they're not going to invest in clinical trials. There's no clinical literature. So a lot of them are just saying this just financially doesn't make sense. What are you seeing of people that are actually doing this? We've had <clears throat> we've had everything so far, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Everything from class one to to three, A to uh, C and D, I think, of the IVDR side. And we've had the coverage. We've had. Australia, Canada, China, US, various European countries. It seems to be a bit all over the place. There's no real consistency where we're seeing all mostly class one. It literally seems to be just a mix. And the mix seems to be down to whoever's keenest to get this out of the way. That seems to be a lot of the... the but you're seeing just as many things that would be considered, you know, kind of a commodity as uh, maybe a technology or something kind of more novel or higher, higher, higher price. Let me say that. Um, the novel side or the higher price side. Don't. I wouldn't know. 
Yeah. Literally because my whole thing is data. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the, the stuff these guys could be uploading could be several million yeah. a device down to 20 cents a device. Yeah. For me, I'm looking at the count of UDIs and does it pass the rules? Literally. Mm-hmm. Luckily, and touch wood, we've, we've uploaded thousands so far. And it's, yeah, when it, when it works, it's very smooth. Mm-hmm. The very odd time, and well, actually, one of, the, one of the reasons that we've seen some failures is because we have such a cross-section of companies using us. Because we're effectively testing. We're effectively testing out about it. Because they'll have done a certain level of testing. But because we're covering all of the the classes across all of the, the across the, um, from the, the MDD all the way through MDR, IVDR, et cetera, even the system procedure packs, we're covering all the, the possible fields, all the possible scenarios. And when we did have refusals for the IVDR, the MDR were going straight through. The MDD were going straight through. Even the IVDD were going straight through. So, it's it's very hard to, to for me for me to categorize because I'm literally just looking at the data, and we've 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 automated so much of it at this stage that if people are uploading spreadsheets, if people are typing it in manually, we've got another system now as well for a pass through, where you don't touch anything. Your um, IT team produce JSON files automatically push them to us. We suck them in and push them over to Udamed and back in. My arm didn't stretch far enough back. And we automate the whole thing from end to end. So again, touch wood. All we're all working nicely so far. And we're going moving on to the FDA next. Oh, so you're going to do FDA UDI as well. Yeah. yeah. Will you be able to reuse your data across from one to the other? The majority of it. No, I th- from what we've seen so far, there's a few fields that might be missing. Um, just small sections where we might have to extend a little bit on our side, but the majority of the data is all the same. We might have to decide to take the first trade name in the list rather than Udamed might have 10 trade names. FDA is looking for one trade name, you know, stuff like little things like that. So there might, there might be a couple of fields we need to add to check a couple of boxes, but it should be, um, it should be fairly straightforward. Yeah. In FDA, you've got the ability to make um, things proprietary too and not show up in the database. So that, that yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I find that quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the U.S. we're more respectful of kind of the capitalism involved with a lot of the private labeling. So the FDA has visibility to it, but you as a potential competitor don't necessarily have visibility. So if I want to go and make a product just like my competitor they have the right to hide the manufacturing relationships from the public. Yeah, 
and I think that's one of the transparency things that the whole MDR side was trying to get rid of. And one of the US lawyers that I read, he was speaking about that. And he said the plus point for him with the new regulations, he can put together his whole dossier by just downloading everything that was uploaded to Udemet. But he said the downside is that no manufacturer can hide anymore. Mm -hmm. Because if he can get it, so can anybody else. Well, I know a big part of MDR was that um, the uh, competent authorities were getting irritated with uh, what 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 was coined virtual manufacturing. Yes, yes. Yeah, where you had, and particularly startups did this and, and still do it and, and need to do it, frankly, mm-hmm. where they hire a um, contract, sometimes design and manufacturer all in one. Okay. And um, that person, you know, does all the design, all the commercialization, has all the records and the, the company, all they do is like literally own the product, but they otherwise don't see it or touch it if at best they do an audit of this person on a regular basis and so I know a good part of MDR was like to eliminate some of this hands-off yeah and I mean we've we've had situations where company A is manufacturing company B is selling and company B wanted their own UDIDIs that company A's and it's it's Causing a lot of issues. Causing a lot of expense. All this was supposed to have been pretty much done and locked off in 2020. And we're now looking at what, 2028, where the the final classes will be? Jeez, that's eight years late, nearly. Guys, you know, you look at when COVID started. That was January of 2020. Yeah. Then... At least the U.S. shut down mid-March. So COVID did not really affect the supply chain, if you will. It shouldn't have. Uh, yeah, at best, if it did, until mid-March. Then it was May. So you have like two and a half months that was like actually affected by COVID and yet we needed a whole other year. It's, uh, yeah. I, and, and I don't like know. If you, if you weren't ready in January and you weren't ready in March, you weren't going to be ready in May, period, regardless of COVID. Like nothing could have happened and you still weren't going to be ready. But there's, I'll tell you what, there's so many companies that are still not going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people are staying very quiet about or that aren't referring to it that much, even with the proposals, is that you're only going to get these extensions if you have been in touch with the notified body and you've made the necessary arrangements. And oh, this, oh, this oh. is my <laughs> my favorite in that guidance document. It says it was the the number. It says a, a comprehensive. It, it was a word like comprehensive, a comprehensive number or a complete number or something. Yeah. Like you had really done your diligence and you had to prove that you had contacted not only a or two or but a comprehensive number of notified bodies that you had made it effort. And what what is that like? What what is what is a comprehensive number? It, exactly. 
If it's in front of six zeros, I would think one is a comprehensive number. Yeah. Well, and yeah. A, fr- a friend of mine and I made made a joke about, um, like, okay, if you su- if you apply our statistics that we have to apply to our product sampling, and we pull out our AQL based on a sample size of now thirty six, and then you p- add in the constraints of what MD codes that uh, these people are qualified for, and if they apply to your product you may only be able to actually contact one person that's designated for your product and then you're compliant. But who's going to police that? Yeah. Now, another twist, side, side note. Before Christmas, I contacted all the competent authorities and I wanted to know a breakdown of how big the companies were that are supplying devices. You know, are they supplying, does this company manufacture 10 UDIs, a million UDIs? You know, the companies supplying into your country, what's the, what's the breakdown of their size? Not a single competent authority has the information. Really? So, so they Not don't even know one. the no. landscape? No. Some of them have the, how many distributors? most of them had sorry we don't have this information maybe you should contact medtech europe medtech europe don't have that information well and they're they're an industry group and so people have to voluntarily tell them things it's not like a government that can require you to submit information so now i've i've seen this information because for my sins i used to look after udamed too which is the current live system but it's only available to competent authorities and to um the commission so i was able to see the database and you could see how big the companies were but it's not public data and like you're saying about the the fda keeping the proprietary companies hidden all this information is hidden you as a manufacturer cannot contact the commission and say am i mentioned inside in uh, udamed They'll tell you, sorry, we can't get all that information. So somebody else can register your product. Yes, yes. And I actually had emails asking about that. Is our product listed because we believe that A has has registered it as them, as theirs? And I sorry, I can't help you. So what's the likelihood that somebody could be importing products i don't want to say illegally but um no it's a good word well i guess you know you've got the labeling and the ce marking they would have to like go to some efforts to they came across um devices that had ce marks on it they were never ce marked someone just put it on the label and because you have nowhere to go and check these things you as a distributor what are you going to do Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, again, one of the reasons that they've gone down this road and why it is going to be so painful for some companies. Um, there was a lot of fraud and there was a lot of, more than likely, there still is a lot of fraud. Counterfeit products coming through, nine times out of ten, we couldn't tell the difference. Which is kind of scary. Wow. And Unimed's not going to fix that. In fact, it, it, it 
has the possibility of making it worse because it could <clears throat> seem even more legitimate because it's in Unimed. Is that correct? Um, potentially, <clears throat> but don't forget your importers, distributors, and EU authorized representatives. They also now have very strong legal obligations so that, we, for, for example, if the manufacturer doesn't uh, cooperate and the manufacturer doesn't provide certain data, the importer is equally liable. So if it goes horribly wrong, the importer could be in major trouble. So it's up, it's really incumbent upon them mm. to make sure that this stuff is stamped out. Mm. Also, your, um, your authorized rep they can add notes to your device. And if they add notes to your device, it's immediately flagged to the competent authority and to the notified body. But they have to check things. Mm -hmm. But again, you know yourself, you could, you could go down the road and buy a lovely sweater that's completely counterfeit and you would never know. Mm -hmm. So there will, all, there will always be things like that, but it's to... Hopefully there'll be less and less. Yep. The other thing I've seen come up in relation to Udemed um, is with my customers who, who have chosen to get ready and have been going through, you know, now their surveillance audits for Article 120 in their quality system, okay. getting written up because their importers haven't registered their product in Udemed. And so they have their product registered as they're the manufacturer, but it's it, it's my understanding that Udemed, you can't link downstream. Downstream has to link back up to you. Yes, yes, 100%. And so they got written up because their downstream importer and distributor had not yet registered in Udemed. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because the, the distributor is the one that creates the link. Yeah. And, and they said, well, they should be contractually obligated. And yeah. then you should be going after them as in violation of their contract if they're not, if they haven't read link to you in Unimed. And again, that's the market in a roundabout way, pushing the importer to get their act together as well. Yeah. But no, that's, yeah. And, and that's the notified body. Yeah. Saying, you know, essentially your initial importer and your distributor are a supply chain and you have to hold your downstream of your finished goods supply chain accountable, just like you have to hold your manufacturing supply chain. Yeah, I mean, the importer and the distributor, they're also supposed to keep registers of all these devices, not just check Udemet. Mm -hmm. But they're supposed to keep certain registers, especially of any incidents of class threes, but they're supposed to have certain documents within their, their premises to um, over, over and above the certification and the technical documents. But they're meant to have these registers as well. So that if someone knocks on the door, they can see, well, we're responsible for these products. And look, you can see here in Udemed, this is where they are. They're also supposed to show that they've checked Udemed. Some are doing it. I'm sure there's plenty that aren't. Yeah, I mean, I'm what? I'm 12 years now with Udemed. Wow. And it looks like it could be another few years yet. I was like, that's longer than I've been married. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Uh, um, it's, it's, 
It's the about the wording, the wording in that um, Article 97 guidance that is so questionable. There's two words. There's reasonable time period and considerable notified bodies that you have to contact. Considerable. Yeah. It's like, I even tried to um, look considerable up in like the dictionary to see if there was any kind of criteria that you could put around and it was just like of significant number. Yeah, but if you just email their public email address, that's you contacting them. Once you keep a note that, once you keep your sent folder or whatever, get yeah. read receipts, delivered receipts, we've contacted them and look, they never answered us or they said they're too busy, but we have tried. And then how are you going to prove that they didn't respond? You know, like that you didn't just delete their. Yeah. You didn't delete um, their quote when you saw it was going to be six figures. It's like they're opening up another can of worms that's going to require so much more to manage. And I know that in theory they're they're doing a good thing, but in practice they seem to be just opening up a few issues. Given the, I don't know what they given themselves a rod to beat themselves with, because it's the provability of these things that's going to cause trouble, right? And it'd be very difficult to fight with some of these lawyers who are very, very good at words. <laughs> Somebody that can turn reasonable and considerable right on their head. Completely, and it wouldn't take a decent lawyer five minutes to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think once once this gets voted through the parliament and gets in front of the um, gets in front of the council, then I'm hoping that these guys are going to start pushing out some really good guidance documents. Not none of this ambiguous stuff they've been posting, where three of us can sit and come up with a whole different scenario each time. But proper, you must do A, B, C, just fixed. Because there's, mm-hmm. there's too much ambiguity in it. And this is probably why we're still sitting here eight years later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, I know when the regulations were signed off in 2017, they would go to the lawyers, then they'd go to the working groups, then they would go back to the lawyers, then they'd go to the interested parties, then they go back to the lawyers. And the same one line gets bloated out with so many different scenarios. I'm just reminded of um, some of the first times that I saw uh, Basil Akra speak on, yeah, yeah. on this is he said, don't wait on the guidance documents because mm-hmm. it's just going to be more words that's going to confuse you. It's been, right. Yeah. And every time a guidance co- document comes out, there's just more ambiguity instead of clarity and and then it just almost slows down the process even more because then you're trying to figure out what did the MDR say? What did their interpretation of the MDR say? Yeah. You just got another layer of things that you're trying to And unpack. in a lot of cases, I've gone back to the commission and I've given them scenarios. I've gone, right, this is what our clients believe, A, B, C. Which one do you think is correct? And they've come back with another one. We've we've had issues where two different people have pretty much asked the same question and we've got two different answers. 
Oh, my. So going directly to the horse's mouth, if you will, isn't going to help either. No, because even even within, I mean, I, I remember at the meetings we had inside the commission, the ambiguity that's inside in the documents. Now, to me, it looked like it was fairly straight. So you go, this is what I believe it is. But then somebody else reads it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the lawyers. And then forget it. And this, you're done. It's just over. Yeah. It's, and at that, that meeting as well, um, in, the, in the council, they were talking about having a review of all this in 2027. That means by 2030, we'll have a new, a, ver- a new version of it, maybe. That new version of it is going to turn a lot of this on its head. It's going to extend the mandatory oh, items sh- to So we're looking at two years after this extension is supposed to be yeah. finalized. Yeah. It could be rewritten. Extended. Extended now, yet again. If you, look at the, if you look at the history of what the commission does, they pick an area and they do something small. They go, look, we'd, we'd like to do this. What, what do you think, industry and countries? And they go, oh, yeah, it's all good. So they do something small. Then they wait five years. And they go, well, we're going to add to this. Now we're going to make this mandatory. And the industry kind of goes, huh? And the governments go, okay. And then 10 years later, they throw a big arm around it and go, now look at what we're going to do. And if you look at the history of Udemed, <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, Udemed 1 came from Dimdi, Dimdi in Germany. They had a little medical device database and the commission said, oh, can we use that and roll it out to all these countries? And they went, yeah, yeah, knock yourself out. Then step forward a few years later and they made the, the NCARS mandatory, the, the incident reporting in 2011. So that was the last big one for the, the MDD and IVDD side of things, the, the directives. Ten years later, we've MDR and IVDR. And it started off small bit. We'll take a bit more. Now we're taking lots. And the next iteration, they're going to take more power. What is there to take hold of that is not already affected? I don't know. I didn't think they could go this far. Is it going to be controlling where you that your devices have to be made in Europe so that they can easily go inspect? Why not? Yeah. Oh gosh! And if you look at what uh, you know, America's doing even just this week about how like um, the America leaders, um, Canada, U.S., and Mexico. Yeah. have uh, gotten together in the summit to talk about how to source things better that are made in the Americas to decrease our reliance on China. In a roundabout way, it makes sense. They could be doing the same thing in Europe. Yeah. And then your company has to have a factory here and a factory there. And on that little conspiracy theory note. <laughs> Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure as always talking to you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking your time with me, Richard.